Hey everyone, uh, welcome to episode 46 versus me alive. Uh, batten down the hatches. No real clever title because my brain is applesauce at the moment. Uh, I'm coming off like a <clears throat> about a four day head cold and uh, just running around. Uh, but I said I'd be here tonight, so we are probably go for about an hour. Uh, not a ton going on. There's a couple of things uh, that I talked about earlier today on podcast, um, specifically about you're seeing this more aggressive approach with media outlets, political Washington Post, New York Times, talking about protecting American democracy. And we saw some of this also in the wake of Italy's elections, um, which I, I admit I know very little about. Um, there's a hundred other podcasts you could go listen to if you want uh, the, intri- the intricacies and the delicate nuances of uh, European politics. Um, but the reaction uh, to the result of those elections from our media was telling uh, and how they're now in full-on warning of the end of democracy now in Europe, and the Biden administration is very concerned about elections not going their way, and you're seeing this more and more, that that's actually what they mean about democracy in trouble, is simply them not winning elections. This is being pushed by a few large media outlets. Politico today uh, essentially had a piece titled, To Basically Save the Constitution, We Need to Rewrite It. And if you dig into that piece, it's about 1,800 words. If you dig into it, it essentially comes down to abolishing the Electoral College. Um, and uh, it talks about how progressive critics view Donald Trump as an illegitimate president because he did not win the popular vote and was able to change the Supreme Court for a generation or two over that. Of course, the Constitution's not the problem. The problem is you chose a very bad candidate in Hillary Clinton who uh, forgot that the state of Wisconsin existed for 104 days in the general election. Uh, that's not something they're willing to face up to. Uh, earlier, about a week or two ago, the New York Times had a piece that uh, had beautiful graphics and it's like a great PowerPoint, it had cornflower blue uh, electoral graphics. But if you dug into it, Again, it was basically just a case that you need to abolish the Electoral College and that the Electoral College system isn't working because it can be exploited now uh, for reasons of certification. Of course, this was not a worry in 2004 when Barbara Boxer refused to certify Ohio's electoral results over questions regarding Diebold voting machines. This also wasn't a problem in 2016 when Jamie Raskin, who currently sits on the January 6th committee, refused to certify the elections for Donald Trump's victory as well. And so what you're starting to see is our our media is laying the seeds for uh, a type of insurrection, if you will, that should the next Republican elected in, say, 2024 still does not win a, a thing that they like to refer to as the popular vote, which there is no constitutional mechanism for such a thing. They've basically just invented it. Um that they are basically laying the seeds that that too is a threat to democracy. Uh, They call it, you know, the tyranny of the minority. And of course, when they reference things like this, they reference states like Wyoming with a a minuscule population, but that has two Senator seats and Congress, the same as any other state. And that's also their case for abolishing the Senate, which is also how we seat Supreme court justices. And it goes down the line. And so what they're not really advocating is, uh, American democracy and a constitutional republic, they're basically ad- advocating for the abolishment of the entire United States Constitution, starting over probably with the First Amendment being some shit about climate change. I don't know. Um, but it's important to start recognizing what they're doing now uh, as we head into the midterms and as they basically are laying the seeds to say that any any gains by the Republican Party in the midterms uh, will be a threat to the Constitution itself, or I'm sorry, a threat to American democracy. If you notice, they don't really use the word constitution, and that's because most of their problems lie within that. And so uh, these are pieces that you have to start paying attention to, especially as they call anyone who's on the political right uh, an extremist or a fascist, as we're seeing what happened, what is happening now in Italy. And there's basically two driving things. As, as someone who does, I'm not familiar with the ins and outs of Italian politics or French politics, but you're seeing two big indicators now over the past five or six years that are leading to this kind of reactionary wave throughout Europe. And you're seeing it in Sweden as well. As I said, France and now and now Italy, which is basically a collapsing birth rate uh, uh, compiled with just unlimited migration. 
And for whatever purposes that might be, that could be because of war, it could be because of uh, economic conditions, it could be because climate change or whatever they want to tell you. And so you're seeing also these seeds being planted over here, as we just saw this week, where you saw a piece by, I believe, an author named Sophie Lewis, who's basically saying, we need to abolish the American family. Um, and as I've stated, putting the World Economic Forum in charge of the EU was probably a bad idea at this point. <clears throat> so that was one thing that I saw going on today. And you're going to see more about this. And it's important to recognize this stuff early um, so you know how to counter it. The other big thing obviously happening is uh, we have a Category 4 basically looking to just barrel all the way up and down Florida, basically missing Palm Beach, missing Miami, uh, but basically hitting the entire state. Um, you can already see, based on uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis' pressers, that our media is hoping, you can just see them hoping for an absolute worst case scenario where entire cities are, you know, damaged and leveraged to the ground and underwater. So they can use this as a, uh, as a uh, cudgel against DeSantis and say, see, this is what he was too busy with his human trafficking stunts to pay attention to his state and assure the sun will rise. That is what you're going to hear. They've already kind of laid the seeds for it. You started seeing this with questions directed at him. You saw that FEMA was not really interested in coordinating with him, and, and he had not had any contact with the President of the United States until just like an hour ago, Biden had finally picked up the phone and spoken with him. And so unlike what you saw in 2008, where the president himself was responsible for a hurricane, uh, now you're going to see the governor of a state responsible for any damage that comes, and they will uh, go out of their way to highlight any damage that comes of this. And you're looking at a Category 4 storm, so again, uh, you will be looking at damages here. But it's important to recognize, again, what they're going to try to do and how they're going to try to use this politically as they're already starting to do that. Um, so I, I guess I would say to that, I hope that the governor understands that that's what's going to happen. And, and I hope that he understands that he needs to be on top of any and, any and all actions that come of this, almost more so. Uh, a microscope is going to be put on him for this. Some of it rightly so, and some of it because he's now a favorite target of both the media and both the political left. Um, and of course, uh, as I said, I hope everyone who's down there is safe. And I said on my podcast, I kind of put out a feel to hear from anyone in Florida uh, what you're going through down there uh, as far as that's concerned. And so just a couple of topics uh, to get everyone wet behind the ears to start out, but uh, this can also just be open forum. Um, we'll go for about an hour. We'll go for about 15 minutes. Nothing too late tonight. I'm going to do a hard out at uh, 10 p.m. Uh, just because it's going to be later on the East Coast. Um, so if I don't get to you, I'm going to be doing this. Uh, I'm looking at probably what is this Tuesday, probably Thursday as well. Um, so if I don't get around to you, just hold on to any, any uh, questions, comments you might have, and I'll try to make sure to bump you up. Uh, so like I said, I see Michael, Melissa back there, also Kerfuffle, Andrew, and of course Jacqueline, who I was kind of hoping we're calling because I know Jacqueline's down in Tampa, so to check in. So as always, um, just be mindful that there are people behind you if you're in the caller queue. Um, don't be afraid to jump up if it's your first time, whatever. Um, just make sure to please mute your microphone as it's uh, mainly just distracting for me, but also just makes it more pleasurable for the listeners. Um, so again, this is episode four six. I'm going to try to barrel towards fifty. I want to get. I want to get out of September, hitting the fifty episode mark uh, for just no real reason. It's not like I'm hitting a bonus or anything, uh, but just because that seems like a nice odd round number to head into October with. So I'm just going to jump in this. We we'll go for about fifty minutes with callers. Uh, Jacqueline, uh, I know you were down in Tampa. How are we holding up? Um, do Do you have your life vests and the life vest for that of your pets or loved ones? We're good down here right now. It's not too bad. It's a light rain right now. And actually the track has changed. Like the the National Hurricane Center comes out with a report at the fives and the elevens every day. And the five o'clock track changed it further south into Fort Myers. So they're going to get the brunt of it, not Tampa. So we may lose power for a few days 
Um, so I probably won't be able to call in at all the rest of the week. So that's why I made sure to call in. <laughs> be a little busy. No batteries. I mean, you should have you should have a generator. What do you think will be out longer, the power from a hurricane or the rolling blackouts in California? Oh, the rolling blackouts in California. Because we, because oh, that was another thing I was going to say is that when you're talking about DeSantis, um, there's twenty five thousand power line workers already in the state from other states that have come down here to be ready to restore power all over Central Florida. Because I, I did see stuff about that Florida, from I did see stuff about that from Georgia. Uh, I saw Georgia was sending uh, workers down there as well. South Car- it, South Carolina did. They've sent tree removal companies down here to be ready to get pe- trees off people's houses and out of the streets and everything. So DeSantis has gotten everything in line and ready, and they're already here. Did you get? So, I, I don't know. I don't know if you get this feeling, and and I, I admittedly wasn't glued. Uh, to my monitor a lot today, but I got the feeling like FEMA and the admin is trying to preemptively kind of take credit for any response while simultaneously they have a plan. They already have a battle strategy written out about how they're going to hit DeSantis on this. And that to me is incredibly cynical. Um, I, I don't really care so much. About, I saw someone mention, uh, <clears throat> I saw someone mention Rachel Vindeman and, comments and her dumb tweet and I, I just like i don't care about any of those people um but it felt like watching the fema thing and and again they, at this time they like biden hadn't even contacted desantis yet it felt like fema was getting ready to preemptively take a uh, a football spike on any good thing that happened while it's it it feels like Corinne Jean-Pierre in the White House has already outlined uh, how they're going to hit DeSantis. Like if, like if two people drown in this thing, it's going to be his fault. And I, I, I'm wondering if you get that sense or if you get that feeling down there from local media as well. Local media doesn't really talk about like that type of stuff. They, they just give you the facts. Um, so when it comes to the actual weather, I don't watch Jim Cantori on the Weather Channel. I watch my local news guy, like weather guy, and he does like a Facebook live every day during, you know, a hurricane and tells you the different tracks and everything and what what you should expect. And one thing, because I've lived in Florida for 30 years, the one thing they tell you is fear water, not rain. If or fear water, not wind. So if you live on the coast, you need to evacuate. If you live inland, and I live inland, like, take your stuff, put it in your garage, but you, and some people, if you live closer to the coast, you might want to board up your house, but you're not, your house is not going to get blown over because houses are built to not get blown over in Florida. So it's just, but if you live on the water, the storm surge and the water, the floods, because you saw Katrina, like people died because of all the flooding. So if you live near the coast, you have to leave because that's what destroys houses. That's what kills people. Uh, The other interesting thing I saw is this is the first like hurricane tracking for like inland, so like Tampa in a hundred years. And I thought, well, okay, there's your climate angle. Uh, even though it's, it's one hurricane in a hundred years, but because you're seeing it, you, this is the other thing, of course, they're going to hit the governor on. They're going to hit the political right on that. This, this just proves that this entire hurricane is a man-made climate event, uh, which is what, you know, we saw a meteorologist do for, uh, on Twitter from like Boston, where, high tide had come in and he said the way these are the highest waves have ever gone for the climate emergency and uh so for someone someone who lives inland and stuff like that and you're like you said fear water not wind or whatever how as far as tampa's concerned because i know tampa is fairly it's not right on the edge of the, uh, the coastline 
Um, I mean, it seems like you're kind of okay with this. You're just like, eh, I'm going to put my stuff in the garage. Um, what is like the general mood down there? Is it like, oh shit, this is going to, if this is headed for Tampa, and I know you said the track train changed. Um, what is like, is it just kind of like, this is just business as usual? Is this, you know, beginning, middle, end of hurricane season? It's just like, eh, we're due for this. Like what? I would say, because Tampa does have a lot of coastal areas. I just don't live in them. And one of them, and so I live enough inland that, like, about 35 miles away from the coastline. So I don't have to worry about it. And based on the new track that came out at 5 o'clock today, the new track will come out at 11 o'clock tonight. But... It's going to be probably a Category 1, and a Category 1 is a snooze fest for anyone that lives in my area, so we just don't care. If it was a Category 4 hitting Tampa, that's a completely different story, but it's supposed to hit Fort Myers, so they're going to be screwed over, but for people that live in Tampa... It's not going to be a crazy deal, but the storm surge is still going to be bad. And people that live right on the water should leave and go inland. Even if they just stay at a family member's house somewhere in like one of the suburbs. But it's not going to be as crazy as we thought it could be two days ago. Uh, so yeah, as I'm as I'm listening to you here, I was just looking up the track, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it looks like like now, it looks like the media might not even get their uh, their their drowned Santis. That's what they're going to call them. I get a hundred percent. Like I'm wonder, I'm willing to even bet that that's even a hashtag. It'll be Ron drowned Santis or some stupid shit. But it looks like yeah, it looks like it's kind of moved off the middle of Florida is just kind of going to go zigzag up the coastline. So that, that'll be funny. They've been I, I, just reading tweets and stuff. I can just, you can just see how much they're just wishing for as much death and destruction as possible because they think that that's something that will derail his presidential campaign. I'm just, I've been watching, I've been reading these tweets all day over this shit and I'm just like, man, they they are hoping for as much damage as possible strictly over politics, which is, they kind of do that. They do, you know, they, they do that. They get sad when, you know, if it's a mass shooter who doesn't fit their identity or whatever in, in these events. And so you can just kind of see it. And even a couple of these reporters that were asking the questions live about him not being prepared uh, as such uh, has been interesting to me. So, uh, Jack, and what else is what else is on but, your mind? Besides yeah, but I was just going to say, like, I saw the Amy Klobuchar yeah, vote, vote for us how the inflation reduction yeah. inflation reduction act yeah. is vote. was passed to help climate change yeah. and DeSantis is going to kill everybody. <laughs> yeah, it was Amy Klobuchar almost verbatim said if you if you want fewer hurricanes you need to vote for Democrats in the midterms. And yeah, exactly. it's similar to health care, it doesn't matter what they pass, the emergency will never go away. Period. Um and they know it. that's why they've jumped on climate, they, why they've done it as long as they can, which is it's it's a non-provable thing. If if we get fewer hurricanes, they can say, see, it's because of our legislation. And if we get more hurricanes, they can continue to fear monger off of them or, or whatever, any kind of weather events. Um, and they and they know it. They know it's kind of an ingenious political uh, motivation thing for them. But just like when you passed Obamacare, we knew that wasn't going to be the end of government health care. was now we need to fix it or now we need to nationalize it even more to, to save more people. And we saw even with Pelosi, who said, uh, you know, we're, our, our climate, our Inflation Reduction Act is going to save the planet. And again, it will in two years from now, we're going to be hearing the same thing. And Mark's Bay is saying what we're 10 years, eight years away from uh, complete catastrophe. Um and so, yeah, and again, that, that the problem with that is you have a media that doesn't challenge Klobuchar and something like that and say, really, really? So we have to vote for you in the midterms if we want fewer hurricanes. Is that what you're saying? Can you quantify that for us? Can you tell us how you get from A to B on that one? Uh, and instead, she's allowed to make some stupid joke about her hair. 
So, uh, Jacqueline, I'll go, I'll go ahead and give you last word. Uh, to wrap last up. word. Yeah, last word is if I die on Thursday, okay. <laughs> if it turns out to be really bad. <laughs> if the track changes and I die on Thursday, make sure that you have your call in on Friday okay. in honor of me. Okay. Well, how am I going to know if you're dead? You're gonna have to like. You're gonna have to leave a podcast. You have to leave a comment over on Patreon so I know that you're alive. So if I don't see a comment, I'm gonna assume you drowned. So, and I and I guess we'll have to like hold that in honor of you. So you're gonna have to check in with us on Friday. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, Jacqueline. Good luck. Be safe down there. Andrew, up. Any thoughts on kind of any topics that I set up, or you can certainly bring your own. As I know, it's kind of slow, and as I said, my my head is kind of mush. So go ahead. Uh, I was just wondering, you know, what? Uh, how is it that? Uh, is it just the media? How does media control? I was in middle school when Katrina happened, and I was just wondering, what was that like? You know, with all the stuff about. What was the media environment? Do you remember that at all? Do you have any sort of firsthand experience of dealing with the media in that kind of environment? And just how does that compare to what they're doing now? And how? And again, how how does that compare how they handled, say, uh, Andrew when it was uh, um, up in New York? Um, Katrina was interesting because of how fast uh, that narrative really took hold. It was it was. When that levy broke, it was instant. It was instantaneously George Bush's fault, um, and it wasn't obviously the infrastructure of New Orleans and who's been in charge of New Orleans forever. We can we can have that talk, or the fact that Ray Nagan and the governor refused to use school buses to get people out of the city. Um, I mean, people may have forgotten that the eye of that hurricane or the 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 blunt of that hurricane also hit Mississippi. It wasn't just it like hit New Orleans and then got up and left. It, it hit surrounding states and cities. And you didn't hear about death tolls or anything like that because those governors and the mayors of those cities managed to get people out. New Orleans was dysfunctional at the city level, at the municipality city level. And when those levees broke, it hit the poorest part of the city. And that's how you got, you know, poor African-Americans basically caught in that, unable to uh, get out of get out or evacuate. And many of them refused to because they didn't believe the strength of the hurricane because they had heard all of this before. And so Katrina hits the levees or the levees go down. And of course, the whole city goes completely underwater because of it. And there was a delayed response in getting in the National Guard, getting in helicopters and it, it instantaneously within a day became the fault of George W. Bush and not Ray Nagin, who, by the way, went to prison. Um, and the media instantaneously jumped to his side because he was demonizing the president. It was one of those things. And it's one of those things back then when there wasn't really social media, you were dependent upon networks and you were kind you were watching this happen going, hold on a minute. Hold on. I mean, there's the national guard. They've, they've put in the military. You had Sean Penn, like, walking around with a boat and a shotgun that's how crazy shit got okay and i mean you even had things of conspiracy theories that dick cheney himself had basically there there's the whole thing about steering the hurricane into new orleans i mean things like that were coming out of mainstream media and cnn and some of the stuff that i remember from this uh there was a clip of, I think, Anderson Cooper, who, you know, he's he's in his kind of his golf shirt and they're standing there and you see people like walking out of just brown water with a shopping cart. And he's just standing there. And the first thing he does is he goes and like puts a microphone in their face. He's like, hey, how are you? Something like that or whatever. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like, this is similar to after school shootings. They go and they shove a microphone like right in some kid's face, like as the, as this happened. Um, and it's one of my, it's one of my biggest just personal pet peeves about the physicality of reporters and media who I understand are there to do a job. But when you see people just coming out of like polluted water, um, chest deep with a shopping cart and stuff, then that's just, 
Um, they're, hey, how are you? Like, how the fuck do you think I am? Get out of my face. Um, and I just thought, you know what? I'm willing to bet that on their news van is like cartons and crates of water. Like you could offer them like bottled water or just something. And so it was, it, it was kind of a bigger lesson. The other interesting thing is in 2012, uh, if you recall, it, the, the Republican National Convention with Mitt Romney was going on at the same time of a hurricane. And they were worried that they're going to have to shut this down. And even Romney was concerned about the optics of this over Katrina and things like that. And very famously, David Chalin, who at the time was ABC News, he's now uh, like an executive producer at CNN, uh, was caught on a hot mic saying Republicans are all too happy to party when black people are drowning. And this clip is one of those behind the scene, rare behind the scenes moments. And that clip resulted in his firing. Um, but someone like that, of course, when they get fired, they don't, you know, they don't become poisonous. They just, they fail upwards. And he's now like an executive program producer, I think for CNN still. Um, and so, and of course, how that contrasts with, uh, how that contrasts with Andrew or Superstorm Standy, both of which I went through in New York City. I mean, the funniest thing was, is I had to move to New York to go through two hurricanes and an earthquake. Like I'd never been in a natural disaster my entire life. And I lived in Los Angeles. I lived in Portland. Um, obviously, I'm from Denver, Colorado, which is not, a, you know, it's the safest place for natural disasters in the country. Um, but I went through both of those hurricanes. And of course, that was more about uh, climate change than it was anything else. And that's where we also had the famous incident of Toure Nesbitt tweeting out the, the scuba diver in the subway. So if you've been around the internet as long as I have on Twitter, you've seen some weird shit. And especially as it, as it relates to storms like this. that also the birth of Humphrey Smug as a, as a national figure? One of the hurricanes? Uh, it was basically BuzzFeed went after him for saying that the United, that the stock exchange was underwater. And then basically effectively BuzzFeed doxed him over that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was, that was something that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I look at Twitter as a big sandbox and a big shit post in sandbox. So to me, I, I don't have a problem with people tweeting stuff like that, but they looked at it as he was going to, it was going to divert resources away from, it was going to divert the fire department might see that, or the NYPD might see that or whatever. Um, but, uh, I, I live just on the other side of the East river in Brooklyn and not my building didn't flood, but right outside, I mean, I didn't evacuate at the time. And uh, I was sitting downstairs in the gym and like it, the water was like coming up waist high to the windows. So like people would be walking by, for instance, and like in the water. And it's like, well, there's power lines coming down. So you guys are on your own there. Have fun. Um, but I mean, it's it's like with anything else that is now politicized. And also that 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 storm is effectively what ended Chris Christie's presidential aspirations when he came and gave that big bear hug to Obama and Obama's wearing the bomber jacket to look presidential. And, um, you kind of got the sense similar with McCain and the economy that, uh, I think Romney paused his campaign to let, you know, he didn't want to be seen as insensitive. Um, and that was always kind of one of Romney's things. He was just too nice for someone like Obama and Obama took advantage of it to look presidential. And he had his bomber jacket and he was out there and it was like, well, there you go. There goes the election right there. Um, but the thing with the thing with Katrina to this day, if people have been through it as well as I have, it, it, it happens so fast where you could go, wait a second, why? Well, how is this Hurricane Bush's? I mean, if you recall, there's the famous Kanye West thing where they were holding the telethon and he said George Bush doesn't care about black people because it was there was the conspiracy also that Bush didn't want to get those people out. And it was just insanity. It was complete insanity. And. Um, it was one of those last times where media had full control over a narrative to where it stands to this day. And so they know what hurricanes look like to Republican politicians. They've embedded, you know, Katrina images of, you know, the the, the Saints Dome uh, flooded and stuff like that. But what happened with Katrina was just gross, gross city mismanagement. And you saw how just years and years and years and years of just unfettered Democratic Party rule in New Orleans basically destroyed that city. They, they never put funds, funds into repairing levees. They never kept them up. The levees then broke, and oh shit, now you have a problem, and all of a sudden it became 
who's the first, who's the nearest Republican we can blame for this? Well, there isn't a Republican anywhere in the city of New Orleans. And so that became uh, the fault of the president. And so, again, now with social media and, you know, with more ability for people to push back against this stuff, as I've said, you could, you know, if you're on Twitter today, you can already see some reporters who are just gearing up to just blame any and all response on DeSantis. And like I said, if if two elderly people drown in this in this hurricane, it's going to be blood on his hands. We already know that. Right. And so you would hope he's you would hope him and his people. And I think that they do are probably on top of that kind of thing where it's like, first of all, you know, let's mitigate any damage. Let's make sure that we get through this and then we'll deal with kind of the political fallout of it. When to me, what looks like what happened today at the White House is the Biden administration uh, by not coordinating with him. And already you have the FEMA director out there kind of placing blame on him without anything happening so far. Looks to me like they're gearing up for this politically. And so but that's who Joe Biden is. That's who his administration is. Um, I think they're particularly miffed over this Martha's Vineyard incident because they they're, they didn't, there's no good way to spin any of that. They can, they can screen human trafficking and all that want, but most people have eyes and ears. And so I think they're looking at this as a possible, uh, you know, if one Cuban migrant drowns in this thing, that person's face is going to be all over CNN tomorrow. So um, that's just the way it's going to go. Part of that is you just have to accept that and push back on it when you see it. Um, but again, if it's already changing tracks and if it's already losing strength to where it's going to go, it's going to end up a category two, um, you're going to have a lot of disappointed, uh, journalists. Okay. I'll let everyone else get a chance in since I've already spoke, talked too much. You have a good night, Stephen. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. I mean, the Katrina thing was really interesting. If you were there with media and you just saw, uh, how they were just desperately trying to get that pinned right off the bat on the Bush administration. I need to go back and look up, but there was essentially a media theory out there that uh, the, the Bush administration effectively steered that hurricane into uh, New Orleans on purpose. Like they steered it towards the poor black neighborhoods of Louisiana and away from Florida and other places where Jeb Bush was governor. It was batshit. And that's the kind of thing that came out and without social media, you were just like, OK, I guess that that's out there now uh, to the point of like people like John Stewart were out there kind of winking at it and things like that. It was uh, just insanity. Uh, Kerfuffle, Susan, you're up. How are you? Hi. Um, can I talk about a different topic? Sure. Go ahead. Um, OK, I think that Republicans are. Uh, once again, not adequately prepared for election shenanigans that are going to happen. And I, you know, I know you and I differ in how much we think that there were shenanigans that affected the election, but, excuse me, Um, but the money. Uh, I I did not do that. Let's (laughs) I just saw her drop there. Kerfuffle, if you're down there, I didn't touch anything. Let's bring her back up here. Um, Kerfuffle, if you can just rejoin, rejoin the queue and I'll bump you up. Just hit, hold on one second. Try this again. There you go. You're up. Hi, that was probably my fault. Yeah, I, did, um, I didn't hit anything. I just saw you drop off and I'm like, I okay. I was trying to tuck, the, I'm on an cons- iPod and I was trying to tuck it in my pocket. The so. conspiracies are, are already starting, Kerfuffle, so go Okay, ahead. It's, not a, it's not a conspiracy. I, the, the Zuckerbucks that was like, what was it, $400 million that he put into the various elections in the swing state, in the core areas. Apparently the Biden administration is trying to put that much money of federal dollars to do the exact same thing. And in addition, here in Oregon, for example, at midnight uh, of New Year's, they passed a law that it used to be that your ballot had to be arrived in the ballot box or at the ballot collection center by mail by close of voting. And they passed a law that says, no, no, no. Now it only has to be um, postmarked by close of voting. 
And so they've been able to delay the results for some days. And there's an expectation that some shenanigans are going to happen with the ballots be, during, you know, that they'll somehow figure out where they need ballots and that they'll arrive there. Um, because what we did have here, it wasn't as bad as some states where like the paper was completely different and things like that. But what we did have was we had a recall attempt of Kate Brown, Governor Brown, the nation's uh, most unpopular governor. And because of COVID, we had to mail our petitions to a P.O. box. And afterwards, it started, people started getting the idea that, um, you know, whether this is true or not, that uh, the post office, uh, some people at the post office diverted just enough of them that we missed the cutoff, like maybe not even just enough, like they may have thrown out a lot of them that were going to that P.O. box. And so one of the things like I've been telling people is, you know, don't mail your ballot, put it in the box. If you're from a red district, drive to a blue district and drop it in the box at the library there so that it seems like it comes from, you know, Monoma County rather than Clackamas, for example. Um, but we're really, and then the other thing we're sort of concerned about is that it's going to be more rioting when Republicans potentially do well. So. So Oregon's governor race right now is within striking distance. Like right now, the Republican candidate for governor kind of has momentum in that race. Well, um, there's, there's three people running. And the only thing everybody knows pretty much is that they hate Tina Kotek. And all we're trying to figure out is who can beat Tina Kotek because she's up against two pretty good women. Uh, one of them is in a Republican who is in good health. One of them is a very bright Democrat who does not look to be in good health. And she may be in good health. There's a lot of that going around. Yeah, she's, she's quite obese, frankly. Oh. Um, but she's, she's a great lady. She's just quite big and not young. And, and sits a lot, which doesn't look real good. Where other candidates stand, she sits. Um, so, but there, both the other women are quite good. And so everybody's like, look, I can take either of those. I just need to make sure it's not Tina Kotek. So it may be the, the ideal thing would be if it was a runoff of those other two, or even a runoff of any two, that then it would be pretty much guaranteed that Tina Kotek loses. But um, Tia Kotek is basically the machine, the Democratic machine candidate, um, really disliked, widely disliked, even among like Democrats in the legislature. She's just like not, a, she's a rotten person from everything I've heard. And um, I think she's the speaker right now, something like that, but it was just kind of her turn. So nobody, nobody likes her. It's just the machine chose her the way that the machine chose Hillary. Yeah, I mean, as far as rioting and stuff like that, I mean, that's, I mean, not to sound insensitive to that stuff, but that's pretty much a gimme from any time a Republican's going to win an election from here on out. Whether it's midterms, you know, once it comes across MSNBC, there's going to be rioting in blue districts um, and possibly in places like D.C. And that's when Antifa will be out there uh, enjoying themselves. And I, I guess I, I'm 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 at to the point, and I realize you live in a pretty blue city, but I'm at the point where I'm just can't. I'm kind of indifferent to these people trashing their own neighborhoods. It's not their own. That are deep blue districts. So that's not fair. It's not their own. If you have riots in Chicago, for instance, or if you have riots in New York, or if you have riots in Los Angeles, if you have riots in St. Louis or Minneapolis or Kenosha or anything like that, I mean, I, I guess I look at it and I'm just saying, you know what, you, you, can, you guys can either tolerate this, and, and I know a lot of it's activists from out of state and out of city, but the city can tolerate this, or they can vote differently, or they can just not be cowed by this kind of stuff. And until that, until those communities decide they've, you know, the writing is, you know, gonna, it's gonna stop. I mean, if it, the whole life, the whole point of it is, if you don't vote Democrat, then we're going to we're going to burn your neighborhoods down. That's the point of what they're doing. And that's again, that's part of Soros's funding behind DAs, because we know that they'll just get away with it and they won't go to jail. But until some of these long held communities uh, stop voting this way and it's like, hey, stop coming in and burning my fucking business down. 
um, then I guess I maybe it's insensitive, but I'm just kind of indifferent to it. If, if blue cities want to continue to torch themselves, have at it, guys. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at on it. Okay. So. The only thing I need to say on in defense of the people who are being attacked is that it's not their own. It's either white. It's basically these white Adderall addicted uh, kids from the suburbs. A lot of them, uh, many of them, you know, from fairly affluent backgrounds who come into town and do these things. Uh, and then the other thing, it'll be white kids going to black neighborhoods and smashing them up. Or, um, you know, like I said, like these lawyers' kids smashing up small merchant shops. So the idea that it's their own, it's not like it's on their block or something. These, these kids are definitely like tourists. They're, right, they're and those, so tourists. those communities need to tell those kids to go the fuck home. Well, they do, but the problem is that you're, what, you're, what you're telling people is that they have a choice between some level of basically hiring biker gangs to defend their buildings, which is like you may see that happen, actually. Um, that's a weird thing that may happen um, because when you have just regular you know, Republicans coming in trucks from Clackamas, then you, know, you saw a guy get, get killed doing this, you know, even though they come in, they're, they're just there. But, you know, the Antifa people are mentally unbalanced. Um, I think I've mentioned that, you know, a, a lot of them are dying of misadventure. They're, they're not well. And a lot of them are not well in a way that they intend to take someone else with them when they go. So it's, it's, it's unfair. You're, like, you're telling people that the only way they can fight the lawless is to break the law. Or to vote out politicians that encourage it. No, they're voting. They're voting that way. But then say they vote that way and then there's a riot. Like that's, they did what they could. They did the one lawful thing they could. But then they're only, other than that, to prevent the actual violence and destruction, you know, because, I mean, God bless the police, but like I, I met them. They, they basically said, we're not showing up for riot duty because you're not protecting us from riot duty. You expect us to show up and get beat up. We're not doing that. So, like, the entire riot squad quit. Like, 30 guys quit. And that's because, I mean, basically Wheeler in Portland and Oregon's leadership. So, again... No, 100%. 100%. But it's still unfair to say it's the same people because it's not the same people. It's, like, different. And at some point, there's a failure of individual responsibility to say, you know, to wave your arms and say, those people. It's a lot of individuals doing individual things. Okay. So. Uh, I'll give you the last word. No, that was it. Okay. Uh, well, good luck. Um, and like I said, Oregon's going to be interesting to watch here in about 40 days. Um, and like I said, maybe that's where you start. I, I know that there was one candidate who just basically said, uh, I, I'm here to enforce law, whether the people in Portland, uh, the leadership people in Portland like it or not. So that to me already sounds like a little bit of a, a hopeful sea change. So we'll see. I mean, so, from your lips to God's ear. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. So good luck. Right. Susan. I'll talk Thank to you, you soon. Uh, we'll go for about 20 more minutes here. Like I said, uh, I'm going to be, this is going to be a hard out. So I'll try to get to everyone who's back there. Um, that may not happen, but like I said, I'll be back here on Thursday more than likely. Michael, go ahead. Hey, Steve, can you yep, hear me? I got you. So you had me at Trump Tower Greenland. I loved it. I've been a fan ever since. But talking about hurricanes, I was in the crisis action team in the Pentagon, the, the Joint Staff, National Military Command Center for Katrina and Rita. And when my Navy buddy was pulling people off of rooftops in the Lower Ninth Ward, we were reading uh, intelligible messages from General Honore. I was wondering if this guy had ever passed like the eighth grade English. But you're right, it, it, Ray Nagin was a criminal fraud and, and, and culpable and, and wasn't Bush's fault. But I, I just and wish that, also, you know. I mean, he, Ray Nagin was a kind of like, he was like Avenatti on CNN before it was cool to be that kind of character on CNN. Like right. the, media, the media just embraced this dude with open right. arms because he, he immediately pointed at George <clears throat> W. Bush to basically hide the fact <clears throat> that it was his decisions that led to so much property damage and death and despair. And the second he said, well, this is the president's fault, the whole media just jumped at it. it was, oh, this guy's great. Yeah, it is the president's fault. 
Right. And, and the truth on the ground, it was, it was absolutely clear from right, right from the beginning. Nagin was a culpable moron and, and he was corrupt. So I, I know I wish that Biden would just take Trump's Sharpie and just like direct the, the hurricane back down to McCuba or something like that. That would be the easiest solution, I would think, especially on CNN and MSNBC. Or just, or just but I, I, I really wanted to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You know, throw some nukes up there, you know, hey, that's an easy solution. It couldn't hurt. I, I really want to ask you about the media and the, yeah, especially if it's offshore. It's, hey, it's, it's Santa's, the Santa's country, you know, what the hell? Right. So they're, they're all evil people down there anyways. By the way, I worked in the White House with Clinton a little bit, uh, you know, uh, socially, these events. And when I saw those two Marines standing behind Biden with that speech, I was appalled. Before any of the reaction, I was like, oh, my God, we this is not you know, back to normal. This is a, a new low. So uh, ugly stuff. Yeah, and when but, you talk about all of these attacks that have happened in the wake, and, you know, like I said, the point I'm making is, I don't know if it's related or not, the point I'm making is, if Trump gave that speech flanked by U.S. Marines with, the, you know, Independence Hall drenched in blood red lighting, and then a week <laughs> later, a, a Republican office holder in Nevada stabbed a journalist to death, there would be there would be congressional hearings and calls for impeachment from our media and Pelosi and Adam Schiff and and all of this. And then right. if a week later, a red MAGA hat wearing dude jumped in his truck and ran down a Bernie Sanders supporting teenager, we would be at def we would be at defcon f- like for the highest level right. of defcon we should be at. And then just today in the last two days, two Greg Abbott campaign workers were attacked and a woman canvassing for pro life causes was shot in the back in Michigan. And I'm looking at this wow. and I'm going where, where is our media on this saying if Trump can kind of stupidly say to the proud boys stand back and stand by what does a guy who gives a speech labeling his political opponent political extremists, and in the wake of that, a journalist is dead, a teenager is dead, two campaign workers uh, are, have been attacked uh, of his political opponents, and a woman and a pro-life woman shot in the back, all the time while crisis pregnancy centers are being firebombed and nothing is being done right. about any of it. Right. What again? Just all you have to do is flip the mirror and go. What? What would? Where would we be here? Remember, Biden yeah. was elected to lower the temperature, right. and I don't think the temperature is that lower right now. And so, when you see all of these things happening in the wake of that speech, I'm not sitting here saying that it's because of it. I'm sitting here simply putting a mirror on the people who we know how they would be reacting. Jim Acosta, for instance, Jake Tapper. Everyone on MSNBC, Steve Schmidt, these people would be in like battle armor right now with guns, you know, ready to storm Washington if this was a Republican president. And so, again, Biden, this is this is why that speech failed is Biden was elected to lower the temperature and be, you know, the 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 wise old grandpa who was different from that yelly, crazy person on Twitter. And Biden then basically, who just seems to be at the whims of his handlers, who want to embrace this whole dark brand and memeology, uh, just went along with it. And so he's now become the guy that he was not elected to be, which explains why, one, the majority of the country doesn't want to see him to continue to be president beyond this term, and 56% of his own party doesn't want him. Yeah, so I, I, I totally, I'm on board totally, 100%. And I want to leave you with the last word, a question about the FBI and the media. But I have to acknowledge that your your point about the, the nuclear stuff and the Iran deal in Mar-a-Lago was, I was like, that's brilliant. Because I have dealt with the nuclear stuff in the building. And, and to think that some stuff was in Trump's basement for 18 months is absurd. That stuff was signed for day and night by 14 people up and down. And 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 they, the whole thing was like I'm, this is just to make it wor- look worse than Hillary. That's all there is to it. But your point about maybe this is about the Iran capabilities to sabotage the deal. I was like, yeah, that's that's probably exactly right. But I wanted to leave you with and get into Melissa, the FBI and the media lately. So today I was looking up the FBI report from when they had John Dillinger and and Babyface Nelson cornered at the Bohemia Lodge in northern Wisconsin in 1934. They sent 15 agents to go on the raid. And yet in Pennsylvania the other day for pro-life dad, it was like 20 plus agents just for this dude with his seven kids like in the house. And it seems like this this thing's not not going to go away in the media so easily. So as I step off, I just wanted to ask your opinion on that over. Um, 
it's it's interesting that we were told not to impugn the character of the FBI. And since then, you've had one FBI agent released over conduct and anti-Trump texts. Uh, you just saw the story in the L.A. Times where they they basically lied to a judge to uh, serve a warrant and affidavit to seize eighty six million dollars from like residents in L.A. in, in shop boxes. And so you see these stories after story, and I'm not quite, uh, I mean, I'm kind of going to abolish them and start over, um, but I'm not quite so militant about it. Um, yeah. it. It looks and it feels like there is a coordinated effort to basically, and in, in all fairness, Donald Trump doesn't help himself in these matters. It looks to me like there is a coordinated effort probably behind the scenes between FBI, the DOJ, probably the January 6th committee to basically effectively keep Donald Trump out of the 2024 presidential race legally. Now you see it with Tish James in New York, who brought a civil lawsuit against uh, Trump and his family. To be, And so the timing of all of this stuff to me suggests the fact that you're trying to keep him in front and center heading into midterms. All of this stuff happened in August. August to, to November electorally is go time. That's the Kentucky Derby. It's get on your horse and go. And so the fact that to me, all of this is happening for someone who's skeptical of authority, regardless of who's in charge of it. Um, this to me looks like a coordinated campaign. And they believe, again, this comes back to what I said, that Donald Trump is a unique threat to the country. And therefore, to to either bend laws or break laws to stop him from being elected again um, is totally justifiable and acceptable. And the way I look at this, and I've said this before, is that's not their decision. If they if they find a crime there, if they find an actual and I'm talking beyond what they found at Mar-a-Lago, because as of now, he broke the same law that Hillary Clinton did under the Espionage Act. And I basically said, OK, treat him the exact same way you treated yeah, Hillary Clinton. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yep. And yeah. that's why that's why if you're James Comey, you don't just do you don't say, hey, you know, yeah, she did this. She she violated classified law. But, yeah, the intent wasn't that serious, because now you're in a situation where Trump basically essentially did the same thing all by it differently. One is documents. One was a hard drive. Um, right. And now you have people like me saying, yeah, treat him the same thing. Treat him the exact same way you treated Hillary Clinton. Yes, it's bad. But this is how the slippery slopes work. This is why you don't excuse it from one person. Because then in the end, it does look political, even to people who are no fan of Trump. And I'm not someone who wants to see him run again. I wish he would just kind of retire to his golf course and go away. Um, but to me, it looks like there is a coordinated effort here through intelligence apparatuses, because this kind of shit went on through his whole presidency, too. You have a bunch of people in the intelligence apparatus, whether it be CIA, FBI, who think of themselves as American patriots who must protect the country they love from the dangers of Donald Trump. Well, guys, you don't get to make that decision. We get to make that decision. And if, as I've said, if we elect a stark raving orange lunatic to be president, one, there's probably a reason why we got to that point. Two, if he nukes Denmark or whatever, that's a decision we made as a republic. It's right there, the quote, a republic if you can keep it, if we can keep it. And if we get so dumbed down to the point to where we're just shoving popcorn down our gullets to Netflix, whatever Netflix is heap serving us up, and you know we turn into the fat people from Wally, that's a choice we made. That's that's the direction we chose to take the country, educated or not. I don't care. Elected bureaucrats within the walls of the FBI, the CIA, or the military, you don't get to make those decisions. And so that's what makes me uncomfortable. That's a lot of the stuff makes me uneasy. Um, I'm fine with kind of the January 6th committee looking into January 6th, look into all of it, look into the failures of the response of the National Guard. I was the first guy out of the gate to say Trump should be impeached over January 6th. Um, so you can't use that on me. Um, but when you basically sta state your goal as Liz Cheney, where you come out and you basically say, our goal, my goal is to prevent this man from ever stepping foot in the Oval Office again, um, you've already right there tainted this committee. You're not here to find answers to figure out how this happened, how, why the Capitol was left as unprotected as it was. Maybe it's just because we're lazy and didn't think anything was going to happen. We'll never make that mistake again. Um, and so when I see what's going on and I see the stuff with the FBI and I see the raid and then I see 
you know, Tish James coming out with this lawsuit now, it looks to me as if the, it is a coordinated focus to make Donald Trump the, the main character heading into the midterms. And even Jen Psaki yesterday on Meet the Press kind of gave the game away where it said if, you, if Joe Biden is the focus, Democrats are going to lose. If Donald Trump or his opponent is the focus, Democrats are going to do fine in the midterms. I, I disagree with that, but that's her assessment. And so I look at this and I say, I'm seeing a coordinated response out of the DOJ, out of the FBI, out of the White House, and working in tandem with the January 6th committee to basically say, uh, we're going to make the midterms a referendum on him. Now, should they find something else on him? And if they find out, you know, that he sold military secrets to North Korea or Iran, fine, lock him up, who cares? Goodbye. Um, but if he is not in any legal peril heading into 2024 and he runs and he gets the nomination, um, again, that's a decision the Republican Party has made. Uh, it's not one I would make, um, but that's the one that they have made. And that's your, you know, you ride or die with it. You buy a ticket, you take the ride. And, you know, I know it's cliche at this point, but, you know, the American people might just decide, you know what, we've had just about enough of the FBI shenanigans as well. And we've had just about enough of the IRS shenanigans here as well. And if Trump decides he's going to go in there and he's just going to fire every single person within the FBI, so be it. That's the point where we're at. Um, so, like I said, that's just kind of my classical liberal leanings. I don't want the FBI deciding our elections. And any and this idea, <clears throat> and Glenn Greenwald has been very good about pointing this stuff out. When you look at cable news, particularly MSNBC and CNN, three-fourths of their lineup are former intelligence people like Brennan or Clapper. Or even today, you know, you have an, ex, an ex-CIA guy talking about Putin and talking about the Nord Stream. And so I look at this and I'm like, what, this, this relationship makes me uneasy as well. The corporate media working alongside intelligence apparatus. Um, I, I, I stated on my, on my podcast today, Facebook is saying, you know, in, in co- coordination with the FBI, that they're shutting down uh, election interference campaigns from China and Russia, you know, meant to sow discord with our elections coming up. Great. That sounds great. And I'm all for that, except we know what happened the last time they tried this. They ended up putting their finger on the scale of, a, of an election uh, as far as Hunter Biden's laptop story is concerned. And the reaction to that now, to me, doesn't look so accidental. And so I take all of these things in, into consideration. And that kind of thing, without going full into a deep state coup, that kind of stuff is worrying to me. Uh, D- James Comey and Christopher Ray, they don't get to decide our elections and they don't get to decide who we choose to elect. That's up to us. And if we end the country as we know it, so be it. Uh, hopefully future generations will learn from our mistakes. Sounds good. I, I, I'm with you. I, there's rumors lately that Trump can't declare that he's not going to run. The FBI solution goes, having watched our military brag stuff all over the country, I'm like, keep the field offices, but but de- demolish the headquarters and put those efforts in Kansas and, and have a huge turnover and buyouts. But keep up the great work. I really love the podcast. Um, all right. Thanks, Michael. Like hearing from new people. Um, I'm going to end this tonight with Melissa. So, uh, Samuel... Sheila, Jeffrey, David, Lasper, if you guys just come back Thursday, I'll make sure I'll kind of bump you guys up. Uh, but like I said, I do I do need to do a hard out because my brain is mush and I have to uh, put together more great content for you tomorrow. So, Melissa, you're going to wrap up for us tonight. Uh, go ahead. Uh, tell me what's on your mind and what's going on here. Well, actually, I'm also in Tampa like Jacqueline. So greetings from what is now not um, the direct target of Hurricane Ian and uh, feeling very relieved. I won't be long. Uh, just a bit of a funny story. My husband had surgery on Friday. Friday night I was in his hospital room. He was still very, very out of it and um, listening to the podcast and you referred to Stacey Abrams, the governor of Georgia, and it woke him up and his eyes got real big and he goes, how long have I been out? Did I miss the election? <laughs> It's like the Simpsons episode where uh, he wakes up from the coma and he's like, are Sonny and Cher still together? It's like, no, he's a congressman and she won an Academy Award. And he goes, good night. And he passes out and he's dead. He dies. It was it was very like that just that woke him up and he was like, how long have I been out? Did I miss the election? You should have um, just said yes. So anyway, 
<laughs> I'm not. He just said, yes, right, it's I over. George is no longer a slave. If he, if he hadn't had such a terrible week already. Um, but briefly, just because someone earlier brought up um, Mark Zuckerberg's $400 million investment into campaigns, that was very, very largely into local races. And as someone who is working very hard to make Florida even redder in the very blue county of Palm Beach, um, just let me say, if you, uh, because you have so many politically active and interested folks who listen to your podcast, get involved in local elections. The left does a much better job than the right of that. Um, they get in, they fund them, they staff them, they vol- have volunteers. Um, but on the right, they, like we're having a hard time, and especially in Palm Beach County, because Trump lives there now, and you'll have 200 people show up to wave flags at Mar-a-Lago for him, but not pick up a phone and help a local candidate. So for all you politically interested people, find a good, solid, sane, non-wackadoodle local or state candidate and get involved. That's yeah, that's what's, that's what's been really interesting about school board stuff is what you started to see parents showing up at school, everything from why are we yep. still doing remote learning to why is my kid wearing a fucking mask to why is my kid eating lunch outdoors why is my kid being told they're a racist? Why is my kid being shown, you know, blowjobs, whatever? That really was uh, something that where you saw Randy Weingarten yeah. and you saw the fear of God put into them because they know if they lose the fucking schools, that's it. They oh. know that. They And you saw when they start going, oh, shit, you better declare these people terrorists. And Merrick Garland's like, OK, yeah, let's do that. Um, I've, I've said for a while that school choice and getting on school councils and school boards is maybe the most important local issue um, because that will, that will change things at so many local levels more than changing a state AG or even a mayor will do. Um, and so I've had people who subscribe to my podcast. I think I had one guy who's like, I'm, I'm going to run for, I'm running for council next, next year. And it's just like, yes. Um, right. And yeah, I know, and- you know, it's it's so easy to get kind of swept up in the president and who's in the Senate and 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 all of and this inflation bill that gets passed and stuff like that. Um, but really, if if you really, really want to change the political discourse and, you know, your political life immediately, that's kind of where you do it. And that's, you know, when I saw, you know, all of this shit starting to happen at school boards, you you saw a real revolt and they had no idea what to do. You had council members cutting off microphones. Dragging, you know, the one when they dragged the dude out whose daughter was sexually assaulted right, in a bathroom, yes. you know, and the media and tried that, to go to their defense and call that guy a Nazi and show him screaming and and everything. Like I, I look at that and I'm like, more of this. Like, please, media, please take the please take the side of the teachers' unions, um, because you're going to awaken something that you guys have no fucking idea, and they might have already done it, you know coming into this November, I think they're in for a shock on a lot of these things. We're, we're all going to be talking about, you know, how the House swung or possibly the Senate and, and did Oz win and did Herschel Walker and whatever. And they're going to completely ignore what's going to be happening at local levels, just like they did in 2020 uh, with border communities flipping all of the sudden against Joe Biden. And it's really going to be something to see. And that's exactly right, where they they had... I think that they thought for so long and parents were content to just be like, look, I know, I know that these schools are Democrat slush funds and, and I know my teacher's probably a secret lib and a furry, but God, just leave me alone. I'm dropping you off for six hours a day at school. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to help you with your homework. Yeah. Okay. We're being taught about how evil Christopher Columbus was, but then I can just be like, yeah, it was a different time and whatever. And then the pandemic hits and all of a sudden during remote learning, they hear, you know, a, a parent has to stay at home because their kid is learning remote. And all of a sudden they hear, let's take out anti-racist baby. And parents all of a sudden go, wait, what the fuck? Like, what did I just hear? Like in the background of my Zoom? And really, I mean, if there's one, any good thing that could come out of the pandemic, it's that. The parents finally had an in into what was being shoved down their kids' throats. And I mean, this is something with the political left. Uh, They're not interested in educating your kid. They're not interested in preparing your child with math and learning and uh, reading and reading comprehension and language comprehension and and critical thinking and civics. They're they're interested in indoctrinization. 
Well, and that it, should make my... every single parent furious because, again, we don't control the schools here. OK, there's not. I mean, they there's some conservative areas in the country that control. But even then, some of those states, even in Florida, you saw pushback against DeSantis from yeah. teachers who threatened to quit. And, and he essentially just went, OK, fucking quit. Good. Goodbye. I don't want you. Goodbye. And again, um, if, if they know what happens if you get in there and it's if you just, you know, I think it was what was it, Aurora, Colorado or Denver, Colorado, where three conservatives upended a, a council board and uh, they went and then they voted off the other two. And it was this, no, this is tyranny, whatever. And they just went, there's nothing you can fucking do to stop us. Goodbye. You're gone. We're, we're, we're done. We're done having my kid you know, inundated with graphic pornographic materials in the library and you standing behind what you call a book ban to justify it. And so, yeah, it's going to be real interesting. Um, but I guess if there's any good thing that kind of came out of the pandemic, it's teachers unions and people like Randy Weingart were finally revealed for who they Exposed, are. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And I, you know, I continue to say to people, if, if you don't yet understand that they are trying to raise two to three generations of people for whom nothing is the truth, therefore they can make anything the truth, um, you're, you're missing the bigger picture. Uh, and I'm, I'm not a wild conspiracy theorist by any stretch of the imagination, but um, you're, you're correct. You're absolutely correct. That was, the, that was the upside of the pandemic, if there could be called an upside of it. But thank you so very much. I'm going to hunker down and, and watch some Weather Channel um, so anyway, have a great right. evening. Thank you for all the content. Take yep, care. Yep, keep keep us posted on uh, on what happens. So I mean, I'm sure we're all like I said, we're all kind of watching it. Uh, but like yeah, I said, um, make sure you check in with the podcast so I don't have to send out dogs to come find you people. <laughs> well, or at yeah. the very least, just make sure you don't cancel your subscription if you drown. So well, that thing exactly. just stays re, that thing just stays reoccurring forever. So yeah, the, um, you'll and, and you'll see me tweeting on Twitter. I'm 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 cracking jokes and posting memes to get through this week. So. Yeah, that's that's the only way to do it. So great. Thanks, Melissa. All right. Take care. Bye. Um, yeah, sorry to sorry to you, uh, 345 back there. Uh, but like I said, I plan on being back here Thursday. Uh, similar. I'll have a podcast out hopefully earlier and then uh, I'll, I'll sit down for an hour and we'll do this and we'll talk about the thing. So Samuel, Osper, Sheila, um, just make sure you guys jump back in the queue and I'll try to bump you guys up uh, for Thursday. Uh, I have a pretty good photographic memory, so I remember all of your ugly avatars and whatever. Uh, this has been uh, episode 46, just batting down the hatches again. We'll see what the track of this hurricane does. And, and like I said, pay attention to how media is already starting to frame this. Um, if this somehow thing swings off to the uh, the east, I could do that meteorologist voice. If this swings off to the east, get ready. Um and so they're going to be very disappointed and they're going to let you know how disappointed they are. Uh, so again, a couple of things, be sure I will be back on uh, Patreon tomorrow. Be sure to leave comments, questions over there as well, which I'll answer on the podcast. As I said, it's kind of getting off to a slow week. There's not a ton out there. Uh, we didn't really touch on Italian elections. I may touch on that a bit Thursday. I have a couple of great Twitter threads uh, from people. I said, they're infinitely smarter than me on this topic. But again, the media reaction to that as well has been interesting. Um, so, uh, again, hit me up comments, questions on Patreon tomorrow. I'll be back there. And then, like I said, I'll be back here probably with a new episode, uh, sometime Thursday, hopefully a little bit earlier. So I appreciate you East coast people staying up and I appreciate you Florida people, uh, joining us and, and to my callers who are from Florida, I guess that batten down the hatches and, and gird your loins. So, and good luck to you guys and be safe. Uh, I'm Stephen L. Miller. This is Versus, Versus Media Live. You're not paying for this one, but you should be paying for the other one over on Patreon. And you can also get me on Twitter. Uh, that's it. I will see you guys tomorrow. Go ahead and um, have a nightcap and, and get your butts to bed. Cheers.